Um, all right, so welcome to this week's uh, episode of the FNC Roundtable or FN Roundtable. Um, joined again by coaches Mac and Tom. Uh, if you don't recognize Tom, it's still him. He just doesn't have a mustache anymore. Um, and the angle he is at makes him look really <laughs> massive. Um, he's been really working on his uh, upper body lately. Um, but the thing I wanted to talk about today uh, was the concept of something being better than nothing. Um, and it's been pretty much triggered by my past seven months being a dad um, and how I'm approaching basically anything in life um, that is health-seeking, um, that doing something is better better than doing nothing at all. And hopefully, you know, the things that we speak about today um, are really going to help those people that maybe have a bit of an all-or-nothing mindset um, and they think, oh, if I can't do it 100%, then there's no point doing it at all. So we'll get into it then. Um so I think that the idea of something is better than nothing isn't always true. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, going on a going to say Europe for one night, you know, in that particular instance, nothing would probably be better than something because the the cost to get there, the effort to get there, the time to get there for just one night stay, uh, unless there's something really significant happening when you're there you know that would be an instance where probably something is worse than nothing and you know you'd probably be better off not doing anything but i think there's an issue with this when people take this mindset and overuse it in nutrition when it's kind of this idea of if i can't be perfect then there's no point in doing anything and that is definitely not the case almost always in nutrition something positive will leave you better off than not doing anything or not making any effort at all. And the idea that, you know, it's kind of perfect or nothing uh, only leaves people with an all or nothing mindset. And if they can't accept perfect, then they're not doing anything. And therefore there's no middle ground. And because it's not feasible to always be, be perfect, uh, the end result is, you know, there is no progression towards the goal or improving your life. Uh, via nutrition so almost always in the context of nutrition something is better than nothing something is worth doing and doing something will leave you better off yeah and i think to the point there mac of like something leaving you better off than nothing it's a lot easier for a lot of us i think to appreciate that fact when we think about it backwards like if we talk about making our health worse there are small things we could do to make our health worse. And there are also really big things we can do to make our health worse. Um, but for some reason, when we talk about improving our health, like you could, you can say to someone, hey, if you added in three beers every day, that's obviously going to be bad for your health. But if you said to them, hey, like you should actually start doing like lots of injectable drugs on the weekend, that's like even worse. But when you talk to someone about, hey, we want to make things slightly better, it it gets really weird to conceive that, hey, maybe just adding fruit this week is actually a net win for my nutrition. And it's definitely, like, it's significantly better than nothing. Yeah, that's a really good um, way, way to view it there, Tom. Um, like, yeah, like every cigarette you have is is killing you essentially, right? People have that, they, they really understand that, um, but they don't realize that every piece of fruit they have is helping them move towards becoming a healthier version of themselves. Um, if we just backtrack towards what Max said about the Europe trip, um, actually, I flew to Singapore for one night um, 
and played a show and went back to uh, the States and it was fucking amazing. Um, it was, that something was definitely better than nothing. Like <laughs> when the rest of the band was there for the whole, like, I think they were there for a whole week after there for one day, it was definitely the right decision to make. Um, so I'm glad I was an outlier there. You just wanted to tell us you're in a band. Yeah, that's true. But you just want everyone to know that you were like some international artist. That's all that is. Yeah. I just used to be really cool. Um, and now I'm not. <laughs> now <laughs> not you're a dad. School. Now I'm a dad, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, and then I think another issue that people have is that they they focus they have this um what we call a gap mindset rather than a gain mindset. They're they're really measuring themselves between where they are and the ideal that they have. Um so that you know the the goals they have. And they're not measuring themselves backwards towards how far they've come or the improvements that they've made. And that's what we call the gain mindset, which is a bit more positive. It's that, you know, I'm still doing the three pieces of fruit or, you know, I'm still, you know, going for at least a 20 minute walk every day, or I'm still eating, you know, three main meals rather than focusing on the things that you're, that they're not doing, sorry. Um, and that can be quite negative. Um, and it has them feeling pretty, pretty bad about themselves because they're not quite where they want to be. They're not doing quite as much as they think they should be either. Um, and I think if we can swap it to that that really uh, positive and that gain mindset, um, it can be really quite helpful. Yeah, for sure. I think Tom's um, Tom's example of how it's like a bit of a one-way street was a really good one. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like we know that, say, I don't know, having a couple beers each night is you know consistently is going to accumulate and have a negative impact on our health but like we're aware of that it's not like our mindset is you know i'm only harming myself if i have a case of beer every single night consistently it's not like there's oh three beers is doing nothing people know that that is leaving them worse off but when it comes to improving it's like like you said josh you know um there's no connection of like oh just having a couple pieces of fruit but changing nothing else that's like making an improvement that's worth it. It's like, well, no, it's not because I'm not perfect. And if I have, and if I want to do this diet thing or improve my nutrition, then I need to be perfect. And as soon as that streak of perfection inevitably breaks, which it always does, then I'm a failure. So they're also internalizing that belief or that identity. Uh, if they have a tough love coach who's pushing that onto them even further, then that's going to exacerbate them exacerbate that internalization. And then after that, they're going to be even less motivated to continue to try and even more closed off to the possibility of finding a, okay, well, I can't do that, but what can I do? They're going to be closed off to even exploring what that is. And I think to that, like, often that is so immediately just encouraged people don't have the opportunity to go okay how do i engage with this or how do i make it a little bit better um like it's the classic you did meal prep so you got like kfc for lunch um when in reality there's actually a whole continuum of options between a and b but for and like often someone will ask me like oh yeah what are some good suggestions and like i'm happy to talk about suggestions but the biggest skill is not in knowing two or three things you can eat, but it's in going, okay, I'm in this situation right now. What do I have available? And how do I then like get to that sort of best feasible um, or like most appropriate option, right? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it can come down to, uh, I think we've we've mentioned a couple of times in the podcast, a controlling source of motivation. Um, and one of those things is like, I should, I should be meal prepping. I should be exercising five times a week. I should be getting 10,000 steps per day. I should be eating this much protein and plants, right? Um, whereas what we want to try and do is stop shooting on yourself um, and actually start focusing on the things you can do. And that's a classic example of what you're talking about, Tom, is actually playing the cards that you're dealt and focusing on what you can do in this situation or within your circumstances. Um, so the way that this topic came up was a few weeks ago, um, I'd planned to go for, I think it was about an hour long run or, or a 10K run, for example. Um, but, you know, the circumstances in my day, um, I ha- could only fit in like a 6K run. And I was tempted to not go for the run at all. And I still went for it. And I, I wrote on the run afterwards on the Strava app, I was like, something is better than nothing. And that's where Tom goes, like, let's make that a podcast. And I was like, well, hopefully that's quite helpful um, because it was much better than me sitting on the couch and not going for the run at all. So you guys are Strava buddies. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to join Mac? I reckon you'd be pretty telly. <laughs> I have Strava and I once, I downloaded it to once do a 5K run. or was it 10K? Something like that in the Gold Coast because I just wanted to uh, prove to Jess that I had a better pace than her over 5Ks or whatever Ks it was. And I did. And I haven't used it since. You don't need to. You prove your point. Yeah, I proved my point. That something was literally better than nothing, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, now you've got clout forever. I am proof that I am indeed superior to my (laughs) girlfriend and asserted my dominance. That's a cornerstone of any good relationship. Exactly. Belittling and uh, how could I say, just being... You're on a a pedestal. Exactly. Exactly. I demand demand respect. Anyhow. It's like a coaching relationship. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I really do think like the all or nothing mindset stops people from finding that like next best feasible option or that plan B. Like if you have an all or nothing mindset, as soon as you inevitably slip up, there's like almost a block to anything except for plan Z. And your natural tendency is to go straight to that plan Z. And obviously, you know, if you are able to go to plan B, C, D, E, E, F even, then you're going to be much better off than plan Z. And in a lot of cases, those sort of next best feasible options, you can still tick all the boxes and adhere to the same principles like just the same and the outcome might be a little bit different but unfortunately i think in the diet world or the nutrition world and we can talk about why we probably think this is the case people tend to focus a lot on like specific methods like the specific meal the specific food the specific timing and they're focused on the methods and they ignore the principle the principle of eating whole foods most of the time of being in for fat loss, for example, a caloric de- deficit on average over time, they lose sight of the principles and they focus on the specific method. And yeah, I think that is where people get unstuck because they think that if they're not following the specific method, then it's not going to work. Even if you're still able to adhere to the same principles, because people don't know about principles, they're not thinking about them. Or well, that's a big part of it, at least. Yeah, and I think on like the principles of a method thing. I think it makes, it's a bit of a hangover from like that bro bodybuilding culture, right? Because if you're seeking a hyper specific goal, 
I think it makes sense that the amount of paths you can walk to get there narrow. Like you're you're never going to see a bodybuilder on stage who hasn't done fat loss, right? You're never going to see a powerlifter competing who doesn't do a reasonable amount of SVD. But when we talk about like health as like the outcome or the goal of the nutrition discussion, <laughs> it's a bit nebulous and it doesn't really mean anything unless we define it by prior terms. Um, which I think makes the it means people place undue weight on how good option A is and discredit just how good option B is. Because like the reality is that we're all eventually going to get sick and die. So like option A isn't really that much better than option B. You know, you, you can't sort of you can't attribute a, a minutes or hours of life gained to having salmon tonight instead of I don't know dory or, or or however you want to optimize that um it's like mostly like artificially constructed yeah and i i think people get trapped in this um like ideal thing like ideal word in, in an ideal world i could do this right but that's not realistic like and you know we, we probably mentioned this before as well like but we could, you could ask yourself, like, how has having an all-or-nothing mindset worked for you? How has trying to do everything all at once worked for you in the past? It hasn't. And if, you know, Mac mentioned before about where, where does this come from, maybe it's the challenge mentality of doing a six- or a 12-week challenge where you completely overhaul your diet and, you know, maybe they get results. Oh, but it worked for me in the past, but it didn't actually work for you because you couldn't sustain it. Whereas... In reality, if you had the something is better than nothing or the always something rather than all nothing mindset, you would continue to make progress or even at least maintain, you know, the 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 healthy lifestyle that you want to have, or you know, start to make incremental changes towards the life that you want to live as well. Yeah, I think a big part of it is the development of health protocols. And it's something that I think actually in the last 12, 24 months has grown exponentially in popularity thanks to this sort of biohacking thing that's starting to come back, but in a different form. So I think years ago we had like the Bulletproof guy and the Poliquin with all their health protocols and their like special plans and stuff. And I got sucked into all of that years ago. And I fizzled off where people started to focus more on like principles and that was really positive and it was that was probably helped by people like james smith for example you know who made ranty com, uh, content and just you know always ranted about calorie deficit not that that really helps people do it but at least it was like shifting the focus away from these optimal health protocols and now it's all about morning routines it's all about the optimal ice bath to sauna ratio and you know, waking up and getting sun at this time and not drinking coffee on an empty stomach and all these optimal protocols. And the idea behind them or the way they push it or make it really appealing is not only is it fancy and it's like innovative or, or cutting edge and that's like, oh, this is like the new thing. That's like, you know, it's like what the dietary guidelines don't want you to hear, you know, it's and it's appealing. It's, it's a big draw card, a big selling point, but it also functions on this premise of as soon as you break the protocol, you've stuffed up the whole thing. So back in the day when I like didn't really know much about much, um, I I got sucked into this Poliquin thing because I was working in a gym where 
this this guy who used to have all these weird protocols, you know, they, they were big fans of this particular quote unquote educator. And all the sort of diet patterns or diet recommendations were built upon some kind of protocol. You know, you do this thing for X amount of weeks and in order for it to work, you have to actually follow it to the T because otherwise this other thing doesn't happen. And then if the collection of these things don't happen together in sync in a certain order for a certain time frame, then you're not going to be getting the beneficial effects from it. That was sort of what it was built on. So I do think I know like I hate the term knowledge is power because having knowledge doesn't mean that you can apply it. But I do think a big issue here is not necessarily a, a lack of knowledge in nutrition among society, uh, but also a lot of confusion and maybe the wrong sort of knowledge, like focusing on the wrong things or the things that don't really matter. I would even then say, it's not even so much a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of taking the time to really reflect and challenge challenge your thoughts on the all-nothing all mindset and your beliefs about like, you know, something isn't good enough. You know, actually start to, it, it's, it's quite irrational. Like realistically, you know, if we think about sleep for an example, right? If you, if you know something happens and, Ideally, we want to try and aim for like seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Like I would, you know, one day I'm going to get back there, right? Um, <laughs> I sleep on the lounge for seven hours at the moment. Um, but in reality, like if you go, oh, I can only have four hours sleep per night, you're not going to go, fuck it, I'm just going to stay up all night. Like you don't do that. Mm. But for some reason, we do it when it comes to nutrition and, and training. Really like, really good example. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. So well, like, we, we just need to challenge the irrational belief. Yeah, well, because I'll often, I will often ask someone, like, can you think of another domain where you regularly practice moderation or, you know, you're able to handle nuance? Um, and I think people love, people love identifying as being a perfectionist. You know, it's like, um, they're not, it's not actually a flaw. It just makes me quirky. You know, um, someone on TikTok told me about it. But if like every single person has a domain other than like for like fitness and nutrition, where they've exercised a bit of nuance or done a bit of a plan B, plan C, um, and get, sometimes getting people to recognize that, like with that sleep example, is all they need to have this sudden boost in self-efficacy and understand, oh, I'm actually a person who's capable of doing a a plan B or a seven out of 10 F, but mm. this really highlights how our own beliefs, thoughts, and feelings can get in the way of us achieving our goals. And like sometimes disputing those thoughts and feelings is the answer as opposed to accumulating more knowledge. Okay. So even if someone like feels like they're a failure, you know, they've attached that to their identity. They've internalized that belief because they've had tough love, tough love coaches, you know, belittle them and make them feel like a failure because they can't follow quote unquote the plan or the diet or whatever. Like, you know, that could be the thing that's holding them back the most. It's not what foods should I eat or what macros should I follow or what supplements should I take? It could just be their beliefs. And I think that's a segue into self-sabotage, you know, because you can you can stay fail to stay consistent with goal directed behaviors due to a fear of success or a fear of 
failure. And if you internalize the idea of I'm a failure, I'm always going to fail, then you will almost self-sabotage in preparation for that or because you know it's going to happen anyway. So you don't have to go through the effort of trying really hard. You're just kind of like scapegoating it in a way. And like, to be fair, I think for a lot of people, like it's way scarier to know you've tried your best and that you still haven't cut the mustard than it is to go, oh, you know, I could have done X, Y, Z better. You know, this this could have been the case. Um, And I think it's really worth interrogating because for most people, it is invariably about doing your best. Like, and if you are measuring internally, you, you should be able to challenge that thought. You should be able to go, okay, am I actually scared of not being good enough here? Or do I just want to be as good as possible for me? Yeah. I like that. It's about what you said. They're doing your best. It's not about being the best. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a a podcast that I used to listen to like religiously called the high performance podcast. And they've got a book as well. And one of the, one of the, they, they ask every guest, like they they interview some of the best athletes and business people in the world and artists. Right. And the first thing they ask them is like, how do you define high performance? And one of the best definitions I heard was, I'll paraphrase it, but it's basically, you know, doing your best with where you're at, with what you have. Like, and you can't really ask for much more than that. Again, it's just about playing the cards that you're dealt um, and, yeah, really doing your best within the circumstances, not being the best or doing the optimal thing. Um, but also it takes that that reflection to know, like, where you're at at the moment and, and what options you have available. And I do think often that, like, desire for optimality actually stems from, like, an inherent feeling of, like, I am not enough as the person I am right now. Um, like I think for a lot of the people who are out there sort of like fighting demons and trying to pursue their gains to the, to the, the tiniest one percenter, um, they're actually in that position because they're deeply dissatisfied with who they are. And they think that if they can throw more things, it helps them justify, Hey, I'm actually like, I'm okay. And even if they fall off the bandwagon they sort of jump back on quite aggressively because that's the soothing tactic. That's the thing that's going to make them feel better. It's almost like, yeah, it's almost like a scapegoat for solving real problems. Yeah, just, it's again, it's that bit of a Band-Aid solution. Mm. Well, like, yeah. Like, there's a thing called, there's a concept called the choice point as well, uh, which is um, from acceptance and commitment therapy. And essentially, you know, if you're in a challenging situation, you can really take one or two paths. One of them is away from what matters and one of them is towards what matters, right? So either away from your goals and the life you want to live or towards the life that you want to live in and your goals as well. Now, when someone moves away from what matters, it's typically for a short-term relief, but it leads to some long-term grief. And it's as a result of being unhooked to some unhelpful thoughts. So Mac, you mentioned before about like your thoughts and feelings impacting your behaviors and that's the cognitive triangle right there right as much as about knowing that you know i shouldn't have three beers every night there's a reason why it happens and it could be could be triggered by thoughts and emotions now what someone can do is if they're faced with that choice point they can either move away from what matters by having this all or nothing mindset or trying to throw the kitchen sink at everything or going oh i can't go for a 10k run i'm just going to sit on the couch instead or i can't have my planned meal um, I'm going to order Uber Eats instead. That's that choice point moment. What they can do is try and move towards what matters by unhooking from those helpful thoughts and actually notice those 
irrational beliefs that are coming in and start to challenge them and really ask yourself, like, is this decision I'm about to make by doing nothing when I could do something, helping me move towards what matters and the life that I want to live? Yeah, and I part of that's also actually having a good answer to that question, right? <laughs> I there's, there, there's really something to be said about how the fitness industry pitches a solution to people. You know, it's like this self-actualizing, you know, Maslow up the wazoo of you too can be the best or desired or whatever. Um, and you can do it by doing X, Y, Z. Um, and the more time you spend pursuing that goal, the more sort of sunk cost fallacy you get about, oh yeah, this is like really meaningful to me. Um, and I think like in a lot of these cases, these problems aren't like, like we said, they're not knowledge problems, but they're, they stem from the absence of a space to be able to step back and ask those bigger questions and reflect on what we do. Um, which is also probably a great case for coaching, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah. right. Yeah. I, I was waiting for Mac. DM Mac. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You there, Mac? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just going, yep. Good. Yeah. and I, But I, like you said, Tom, is like having the right answer to that question. But I just don't think enough people actually pause before making these decisions and put a gap between the stimulus and the response. And that's a really great way to break a habit. So rather than like if, if that, you know, doing nothing as a result of not being able to do everything perfectly is your reaction, your automatic reaction, just simply pausing first before making a decision is really helpful. And then, then you can challenge the question because you can't challenge it without pausing first. Oh, how good is Zoom and the awkward silences? I'm going to have to try and edit that one out. Um, I, think, yeah. <laughs> True. I think it adds suspense. It's yeah, like a it, bit of a tension release relationship, yeah. isn't it? Oh, I just think it makes it, it could make it more real, you know, just we're fair income, <laughs> you know. Bedding, can we have the awkward silences on the Zoom because we don't no, know who's speaking no, next? No filters. No filters. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the power and the pause, that's something that you always say, Josh. I love that. Um, and obviously, if we're able to pause for a moment, we can think about the triggers, the drivers, the factors affecting why we might be drawn to a particular decision, even though we consciously know that it's not going to help us be better or move us in a direction we want or even have a negative impact uh, on us. But I think one thing that I've struggled with actually a little bit as a, as a coach is, okay, power in the pause, that's all good, that's great, but pausing is easier said than done. Because, you know, things happen fast in this world or it's often really easy for an urge to quickly turn in, hey, I'm eating the food or I've got the ice cream in my mouth or that Mars bar's already been unwrapped. Um, so, yeah, I think one of the hardest things is actually, you know, having strategies for creating that time gap, not only so you can recognize the drivers and the, the, um, the factors or the, the influences or the triggers, but also reflect upon your values. Uh, think about your values and then consider what option is or what choice is going to get move you towards those values. So I'd be curious to know what guys, what um, what strategies you guys have when it comes to creating that pause or uh, creating a position where it's easier for for clients to pause because you know we've got things like urge surfing and what have you. So yeah, I want to hear what what things you guys have found to be helpful. 
like you said, it's a it's a fast paced world. Things happen so quickly because our, our environment has cues that trigger a certain response. We think of the the habit loop of cue, routine, reward, right? So we get triggered by the cue, and then we do something to get this reward, right? Could be stress eating, could be um, the pressing the snooze on the alarm, right? It all happens so so quickly. Um, so it's hard to try and change all those things all at once as well, and be on alert for everything that could happen and you know, all the triggers in all of your environments. So what I would suggest is just picking one thing to try and really focus on and then get privy as to what your triggers normally are, right? So if you know that you tend to stress eat on a certain day um, and you tend to go to the fridge or the pantry, then having something in your environment that actually says like pause. Like I had a client once who like who put the 10, 10, 10 on a post-it note and put it in different areas of her, of her house. And she said that was really helpful because that was the visual cue to then trigger the 10, 10, 10 strategy of asking yourself, how will you feel in 10 minutes, 10 hours and 10 days? Yeah, I, I kind of agree that you can't really focus on trying to apply the pause universally. Like you can't just say, okay, this week, I'm just going to pause before every possible food decision. Like, I just don't really think that's feasible. And the, the difficulty in doing that is even worsened by stimulus that we're exposed to in the modern world, but also like stress and feeling rushed and feeling anxious and those sort of emotions. Like, you know, I can think of so many instances, even in my day to day, where if you said to me, you're going to have to take a pause for 10 seconds, even I'd be like, what? Like I'm doing stuff. Like I'm not thinking about that right now. That's going to require me to, you know, be less efficient in general. It's going to require me to stop doing something that I was doing it's going to require me to shift my like line of thinking when I'm trying to focus on something. And that's a good skill to have, but it's not easy. Like it's, it's difficult to do that. Um, so I think focusing on one particular instance, like it could be afternoon snacking, like one particular nutrition struggle and trying to really isolate that and then making that your opportunity or that particular thing where you plan on practicing, trying to put that pause in place. And there's plenty of ways you can do it um i even think your food environment if we're talking about food because we're nutrition i think that's a big factor like if you can create steps or time between when you have the urge and when you can actually act it act or action it then that's going to help you because urges come in waves and if you create able to create some sort of time by even putting certain foods in places that like a little bit further or harder to reach or having foods in your house that require some level of preparation step then even that might be enough for you to be better positioned to make a decision that moves you towards your goals and values. Yeah, we call the effort yeah. barriers, putting more effort barriers in, in between you and the behavior that you don't want to do um, and then removing effort barriers between you and the goal on behaviors. Yeah, and, and I guess like to make this to make this point, I guess like the whole conversation like writ large, right? Something there... And having some kind of moment is so much better than nothing. So like often, like I will I'll often approach this in two ways. Like, do we need like an, a specific, like environmental way of engaging with this? Or do we simply need to give people a chance to get better at having that kind of insight? Um, and obviously like you meet people with where they're at with that, but like genuinely something like practicing mindfulness can be super useful for that kind of thing. And Another thing I like to lean on is getting people to retrospectively do it because sometimes 
like part of the trick here is it's simple, not easy, right? If you're feeling a really big emotion and you're someone who likes to self-soothe with food, it's going to be really difficult to get you to step back, to acknowledge what you're thinking, to try and understand why, to do all those things when you're feeling something really strongly. But I think if you do that afterwards, not only does it help you identify how to engage with it in the future, it also fosters a little bit of compassion. It stops that sort of going off plan as being like a failing and instead helps you understand that this was actually like a difficult position I did my best in. Um, which is the other side of that, right? Because we want to preserve and improve people's self-efficacy as much as possible. Yeah, and that kind of goes back into the theme of the podcast of something is better than nothing. So some some reflection, some introspection is better than nothing. So yeah, you could pause before it happens, but if you reflect afterwards, then that's still something, right? Um, and again, to reinforce the theme of something is better than nothing, pausing before making a decision, even if you make the decision, to still, let's say, indulge or self-soothe is still a win because you paused. And you're putting that gap between the stimulus and the response. And over time, that hopefully starts to change the behavior because it's not not so automatic. And especially there, right? Like, we're not saying you need to do 40 days and nights in the wilderness, like, you know, in the desert eating locusts and honey. Um. Which is the thing, right? Like we're not pushing this like super complex, refined, deeply involved, you have to execute perfectly protocol. Like you've literally just got to do the tiniest bit. And I think also it's important not to frame that mindfulness as the most we can do, but instead understand it's a small step and we're allowed to take a small step um, instead of having to go the whole hog on it. Yeah. And it's even like with mindful eating, right? It doesn't have to be every single meal that you eat mindfully because it may not be realistic. But if you can pick, you know, one meal a week and or one meal a day where you can sit down and eat without distractions, again, that is better than nothing. You know, um, if we think about the urge surfing or pausing before deciding, you know, it may not be at the most challenging of situations that you face. You might start with the most simple one. So, you know, uh, today I was tempted to check my phone before, like my, I've been trying to do like work blocks. Um, and I was like, I had like 15 minutes before my work block, right. was finished. And I was like, tempted to check my phone. I was like, no, like pause before making the decision to check the phone. And that wasn't a really, like for me, it was, it was quite an easy situation. Whereas I could have been in a more challenging situation. It would have been a lot harder for me to do so. Whereas now I'm kind of building up my confidence in the pause to try and then use it in a more challenging situation later on. Yeah. And then I, I can actually speak to a similar thing with like the desire to check your phone when you're working, even though you're like, no, you got to finish before. And like, I know me that if my phone's right there, like as soon as I get that urge, that phone's in the hand and I'm scrolling on Instagram. But if I create the effort barrier, like you said, Josh, and the phone is in the other room on the charge or it's on the kitchen bench where I have to get up out of my seat, and walk over there, then I'm much, much less likely to check my phone. And, you know, obviously I get more shit done because of that. Back to all or nothing thinking, I think there's a really another, there's another big negative of it. And that is actually the failure to recognize the good things that you did or the failure to stop and smell the roses. So Like I had a client, for example, this week who had a few little like lapses or slip ups, 
And uh, we had a bit of a, a WhatsApp message exchange prior to me going through and looking at the check-in and all the, the information in there. And based on the WhatsApp exchange, uh, you know, it was the week was horrible. It, I was expecting to open up the the check-in and see just like nothing at all that is value or goal aligned. Okay. But I opened it up and I would actually say that it was 85% of the way towards theoretical optimality, but because there's still a lingering all or nothing mindset that we're working on, which we reflected, we reflected upon, but because that's still lingering, the mindset shifts automatically to, I was inadequate. I didn't do a good job. This isn't good enough. I need to try better. And all these sort of negative thoughts. And, you know, people will say, oh, so what? You know, like at least it's like the tough love thing of like self-criticism makes you, you know, it, it it forces you to pursue greatness. And that's a particular argument that you might get. But in actual fact, it doesn't have that effect. What it does is just diminish your sense of self-efficacy or the confidence that you have in your abilities. And when you lack confidence in something, guess what? You're also going to be less motivated to do it. Generally, we're more interested in things that we're good at. Like if I was shit at surfing, I probably would you know, not be in a position where I can say I've done it for 20 years, like I've been a surfer for 20 years. I would have done it for like a week and then gone, I'm shit at this, I'll find something else. But generally we're gravitated to the things that we're at least competent at. But if we feel shit at something, even if we aren't shit, well, it's going to diminish our ability to want to keep going and keep trying. And um, on that point too, of like we're, we tend to do things we're good at, um, I'm completely blanking on this study. So Actually, I'm pretty sure Josh will be able to fill it in for me. But there's that like classic experiment where a bunch of kids are given rewards for painting and some aren't. And uh, they find that the, yeah. the kid, is it the painting? Was, but like the, the people who receive external reinforcement for the thing, ultimately like it becomes about the external reinforcement as opposed to like the internal joy of the thing. Yeah, if they got paid um, to do something, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. even like other tasks on like adults as well. Like, if you paid, if you paid someone to do something, they ended up enjoying it less. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why so I like, I'm not paying you for coaching anymore. Well, the like, I think there is something to be said about how a lot of people get a pay rise and have their happiness increased for a couple of weeks, and then go back to being miserable, and they keep doing that every year for most of their life, or for ideally for a while. Um, but like something I find hard to get people to do and I'm, I'm really trying to push at the moment is being able to find like I think joy is a bit of a wanky word but to be able to f find good feeling about themselves about the things they've done without me like I, I think most of the people I work with are terrific actually I think all the people I work with are terrific um, if you're listening but I shouldn't need to tell you that when you, you like I would like you to go oh hey I did a really good job this week or even better this has made me feel good and, and that's like a pretty cool thing um and it's super hard to learn that when you've spent so much time trying to get a tough love coach to love you because yeah. they remind you of your dad yeah that's why i really like the self-reflection that we that we encourage our clients to do with a weekly check-in right we one of the questions is what did you do this week that moved you towards your goals yeah. right and they're reflecting on that they're they're saying like you know i did this i took action and I move towards what matters. I committed to my my values and the life I want to live by doing these things, right? Um, and that's what I, one of my favorite questions to to having the check in. 
if we go back to what you were saying before and back about your client who like had basically 85%, imagine if you got 85% in an exam or an assessment, you'd be fucking cheering, right? But for some reason, when it comes to your diet, if you only get 85%, you're like, oh, fuck, I got 15% wrong, I failed. What kind of world are you living in? Like, if you were an assessor, like, oh, I would hate you. You would, you would hate them as well, right? Why do we have this mindset when it comes to nutrition? Like, man, I, when I was at uni, P's got degrees. Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah, why can't we have a P's get degrees mindset with nutrition? Because, like, you know, I'll be realistic with you. If you have a degree or a master's or whatever in something, no one's going to ask you like, oh, did you get a HD? No. Like if you go for a job interview, that's directly relevant to the, the degree that you have. I personally don't think that you're ever going to be asked, okay, so what were your marks in your, um, you know, this subject that you did in your second year, like second semester? Like it's just like, no, oh, this person has a degree in things, but, you know, you could have got 51% overall mark, but the outcome's still going to be the same. And I actually think that, in almost all general nutrition goals and healthy eating type endeavors, that is very much the case. Like the 51% mark is literally the same as the 98% mark. Yeah. Okay. When we start to go more towards the goals, like, you know, I want to be the best in the world at this, you know, I want to pursue this to this really high level, then, you know, that's less so the case. And that that's when there is a difference between say a distinction and a high distinction mark. But I think there's this failure for in nutrition for people to realize that, yeah, peas do get decrease. And uh, like I said, I think there's a few reasons why that is the case and why that is specific to nutrition as being the case. Um, and I think it is part of the confusion, uh, marketing, marketing tactics, recent trends, uh, and also like the internalization of certain beliefs that you might get from a tough love coach. Yeah, and I, I think, like, not only do P's get degrees, but you get to set where the pass mark is, right? I think there's part of the problem is with the tough love coaching, you allow other people to set that bar for you, mm. you know? And, and when, you're, when your bar is 100, like, you're ultimately always going to feel like a failure. But instead, if you can go, what's the outcome I'm after? Like Max said, if you're an elite athlete, want to be the best in the world, your bar will be in a different place to someone who simply wants to get better. Like if you're if you're just coming into nutrition coaching and trying to improve your health, that pass mark is well, it's actually anything above what passing. you're passing doing. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, so it, yeah, so like you you have you have basically all the world of options to choose to be able to get get your degree, you know, please get degrees. Yeah. I'll um, use it. I'll use an example that I have with clients, right? You know, think we think, okay, five fists per day as the as a standard we want to reach for vegetables eventually, right? Um, but if someone currently has one, I said to them, okay, realistically, how many can you try and add in and aim for? And they might say three. I'm like, great, cool. That's two more than you currently have. That's a better off for sig- it. significant. I'm not saying, oh, don't worry about it then. If you can't do five, don't worry about it. It's not like, it's not like, you go from 4.95 fists of vegetables and it does nothing and your health is really, really bad. And as soon as you get that 0.05, you're like, like live in super health. Yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't, it's kind of like, I think like people do this with things like protein intake. I think protein intake is a big one. They're like, 
no, bro. Like you see all these rants on Instagram. It's like, no, look at this research. It says it's 1.8 grams per kilo. But this one says it's 2.2 grams per kilo. And then you see like all these researchers creating these different studies and like posts. And there's been so many systematic reviews on the optimal protein intake. And it's like 1.8 grams per kilo, 1.82 grams per kilo. It's like, it's like who firstly is even tracking their nutrition that accurately? Even if you're using macro tracking best practice, there are variances that are honestly beyond your control. Um, and yeah, I think it's this like, like, like it's almost like this mindset of like, if I'm even just slightly below the optimal amount, whatever that is, then I'm like going to lose all my gains. And it's like, honestly, it's like you could probably consume a much lower protein intake than the ideal recommendations. And you're still within a pretty good range. And for most people, like there's not, again, there's not going to be a difference between like sort of maybe good protein intake and optimal protein intake in the context of what they're trying to get from nutrition. So it's something that you wouldn't really stress over. And if you didn't, if you weren't perfect with it, then you wouldn't like lose sleep over it. Yeah. It's what's the return on investment for that effort. And then what's the trade-off? Like how long can you sustain that for as well? And it's the same with the whole all nothing thing. Like if you try and overhaul your diet, how long can you realistically do that for? And then when you eventually can't sustain it, then you're, you know, fulfilling your affirmation that you're a failure, that you can't do it or anything that affects your self-efficacy even next time you try and try something as well. Um, it's just not really helpful, right? We can't yeah. we can't have this discussion about something is better than nothing without talking about the, the diet dimmon of Mac in particular. And I think what we want to try and do is actually define your levels. So, you know, what what is a 10 out of 10? And then what is a zero, 0 out of 10? And then what is every single level in between? Yeah, I think that what is your 10 out of 10 should not be what is 10 out of 10 in terms of like global or like population, what could be optimal. It should be 10 out of 10 within your context. And because there's no point in setting your expectations beyond what is the best feasible expectation, best feasible beyond best feasible. Like it's just never, it's impossible for you. It is beyond feasible. And that is a floating thing as well. You know, if it's a normal week when you're in your routine and you're at home and like, you know, like work's not too busy or whatever it is, then what the best feasible level is on that dimmer knob, like where you can realistically turn that dimmer knob up to is going to be a bit higher than that week where, you know, everything's shit hits, shit's hitting the fan. Um, there's things going on with work. You're busy, like you're moving house. So like what's best feasible should be a dynamic thing. And if we have an all or nothing mindset, if we have a rigid mindset, then we're not going to have the ability to adjust our expectations and strategies in real time, depending on what's going on. We're going to be fixated on one set of expectations, one strategy, one diet method, one particular meal, like one particular way of eating it. And as soon as we can't adhere to that because it's beyond what is feasible, then all of a sudden we are a failure. We've stuffed up. And what's the point in trying it all? Yeah, like a lot of the time we'll introduce that idea to people as like the internal RPE. Cause like a lot of, a lot of athletes, a lot of people who like lifting weights now are familiar with this idea of like RPE, right? Is an RPE 10 or is an RPE six, seven, eight, five, whatever. Um, but if you set an internal difficulty target, it means that you can show up on your worst day and still have a good crack, right? It's a bit like you wouldn't you wouldn't take someone to the gym and tell them they have to start by lifting 100 kilos when they can't. Um, 
like not just because some people won't be able to lift it, but for some people it might not be heavy enough to make them better. But instead, if we work in this paradigm of, okay, I care about you putting out this internal difficulty, this effortfulness level, all of a sudden you can actually succeed in any environment and the outcome you, or sort of the external behaviors you do will constantly shift, but the result is you'll actually reflect on the fact that you are doing your best or you're having a good crack at least within those constraints. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, examples of this, like like you said, Tom, you wouldn't get a complete newbie come in the gym and be like, Eddie Hall did 500 kilo deadlift. Therefore, unless you can go up to that bar right now and lift that 500 kilo uh, barbell, then there's no point in trying. Uh, the gym offers you no benefit and you might as well just do something else. Yeah, like I think when people went like hopefully when people hear this, they go, fuck, it is so irrational to have an all-nothing mindset or to, you know, define my standard by someone else's standard. But it, you actually have to challenge these irrational beliefs. You can't just say it. Like you actually have to sit down and do it and be quite active with it. And same as the reflection and the pause. Like you you can't just kind of push to the side. And I know it might sound like a bit wishy-washy and woo-woo, but like it can really help. Like honestly, yeah. Because I think there's there's acknowledging you do it, and then there's understanding that's a thing you have the power to change and engage with. See, Mac. Um, instead of just becoming one of those people who goes, "Oh, like I'm so all or nothing." Yeah. Um, like look at me go. I I used to used to work at a gym with a. I want to be careful about how I say this. I used to work at a gym where a lot of the personal trainers had very extensive extracurricular activities on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they sort of went, oh, like I'm just all or nothing. It's how I'm built. Um, But you don't have to be that way. Hmm. (laughs) And I think like identifying with it doesn't actually, it doesn't help you unless you want to do that and to continue doing that. Yeah, it's the toxic trait thing, right? You can identify with a toxic mm. trait, but unless you change it, then, yeah, what do you do? You're just telling the world that that's who you are. Um, and, again, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. It's essentially yeah, a is, form of self-handicapping. Yeah, well, and is it actually in line with who you want to be and what you want your life to be like? Like, sure, you may be someone with a tendency towards being moral or nothing, and you might be a 90 out of 100 on that scale. That might mean you're never a 20 out of 100, but it doesn't mean you can't be 85, 80, 75, and that won't improve your life. You know, it's sort of like pictures within pictures here. Yeah. I think, again, like, you know, we've, you've, you've had this question, sorry, you've used this question before when it comes to, like, goals. Like, where does the goal come from? You know, or where does your all-nothing mindset come from? And then, you know, if we can challenge it and go, is it really serving you? Is it really helping you become the person that you want to become? Um, how's it going for you? Are you willing to change that approach and focus on the always something mindset or the something is better than nothing mindset? Um, I don't know if you follow these pages, Tom, but I see quite a lot of like these, um, you know, visual, like these graphics. Uh, they they kind of make like a, a mindset quote or something into a graphic and it like, you know, it makes it for those like visual learners that can really help someone grasp the concept and add something really concrete to it, right? Um, I would love to have something like that where we 
we actually show them like, you know, all or nothing, the progress that you make doing that versus the always something, you know, even if it's like a, a one, somewhere between a, a one and a five out of 10 compared to a 10 and zero, 10 and zero, 10 and zero. Mm. Like I would love to have that visual representation and then that really opened people's eyes and goes, ah, that's that's kind of what you mean. It's like that graph. Have you seen the graph where it's 1% improvement daily for a year? Yeah. The it's day- exactly that, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, completely agree there. Because like it's, I think it's the recency bias thing, right? We we value this moment so much, but discount six, 12 months time. And for, for the vast majority of us, we do have a lot of time. And something I, I often have to work really hard to try and convince people seeking weight loss is you have your whole life to lose weight. Um, and sure, like we want you to lose any body weight you want to lose in a timely fashion. We don't want to drag it out, rah, rah, rah. But 12 weeks isn't the finish line. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and I think one of the nice things about the additive behaviors thing is you're going to have to keep doing this forever. So it forces you to ask the question, how can I do this forever? Mm. As opposed to how can I just desperately make it work for the next week and a half? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. How can I do this forever? That's a really good, um, really good approach to it as well. Um, just wrapping up again, like Mac mentioned before about the whole optimality crew. Um, it's really like ta- the, the likes of Huberman are really taking this too far. Um, there's, you know, the, there's the whole like get the sunlight the first 20 minutes of the day when you first wake up, right? Have you heard that one? Mm-hmm. Um, now there's one that's saying like the sunlight in the middle of the day doesn't count. I'm like, what the Yeah, fuck? it's that low angle, you know, it refracts when it comes through the atmosphere. You gotta... Oh, I'm like, you fucking kidding. Like now you're saying like, what if that's the only time someone can go outside on their lunch break? Because today when I woke up, the sun, it was dark, right? Like what if I could only get sunlight outside? Imagine, imagine if you had the all or nothing mindset, like, oh, it's not the first 30 minutes a day. So there's no point. Yeah. So something I'm, I'm definitely grateful for in doing a biology degree is that in a lot of natural, like it's very rare in a natural system that one factor explains an enormous chunk of the variance. You know, like if, if we're talking about modeling complex ecosystems, um, we might be talking like seven, eight, nine, ten, like all factors with like different eigenvalues associated. And there's like a there's a technical aspect to that. But the bottom line is like it's important to ask how much variation this factor is actually explaining. You know, the, the people who are getting sunlight first thing in the morning is how much of the difference is the sunlight explaining versus how much is having a ritualized morning activity helping you versus how much is a sense of accomplishment first thing in the morning helping you. And I think one of the nice things about debunking Huberman, for want of a better word, is almost all of those claims are very easy to falsify with that thought experiment yourself you know like how much of this is actually explaining the change is like a really simple question to ask and to put those things to the test because if it if it was magical if it did somehow completely change your life we'd already know and we'd all be doing it yeah like it's the way that we sell we select activities like the 
like for example, the state of the bodybuilding research at the moment is really interesting. Um, because in the past few years, there's been a swing in like tendency a little bit more towards what bros were doing in the early two thousands from a training perspective. Um, and it's interesting because it's like we had this huge unofficial experiment, and when people began to exchange ideas, we sort of converged on this like good approach without necessarily needing to science or nerd it up. Um, and if you want to talk about ice exposure, you want to talk about morning sun instead of lunchtime sun or whatever, if it actually mattered, we would know. And you'd be like, oh, wow, like, you know, it's fixed. But but we don't, and we don't. Like, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's fascinating how people can just, like, they can just take one thing and really run with it. But at the same time, like they glorify one thing, but demonize another thing to make their thing look even better. It's like, there's two ways to build the tallest building in the world. One of them is to build the tallest building building in the world. And the other one is to tear all the ones down. Yeah. And like, like, don't get me wrong. Like I did, like I literally did my honors year on like nutrition and mental health interactions in rats. Oh, they were mice. <laughs> but like... <laughs> No, no, but like I, I totally get how you can take data and construct it to to fit an argument to establish notoriety, um, and it's like it's probably unreasonable to expect people to have to learn enough science to be able to debunk those things, um, which yeah, is they, where like those tools of like looking inwardly can be super useful. Yeah, they outsource criti- critical thinking to professionals, um, but at the mm. same time, they need to have that introspection of like how does that relate to me? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah and like to be fair we all outsource critical thinking to yeah experts right yeah. like we go to the doctors we go to the physio we get tax advice like it's it's important yeah definitely it's a evolutionary probably benefit to do that like you wouldn't get anything done if you couldn't right yeah, yeah. Um, but there are times where you have to challenge the way that things are, are going um, and if you are someone who has an all or nothing mindset um, then that's, I would say it's, it's time to challenge that. Ask yourself, is this really working for me? Is this moving me towards what matters? And do I want to keep doing this? Um, if it's not working, then there is another way to, to approach it. Um, that is the something is better than nothing or the always something mindset. Um, and just define like what you can do rather than what you should do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think the, the thing which allows you to define that is knowing what you're actually trying to achieve. So if you understand that, then that lets you ask, what can you do? What should you do? What do we need to do? And you're on the money. Yeah, for sure. Um, and all things that we can do in one-on-one coaching at FNC. Definitely. Slide into my DMs. That's it. Um, all right. Thanks, Tom. And thanks, Mac, even though you left us early. Uh, really appreciate it, um, as always. And uh, maybe it sounds like Goobman's back for a, another reel, surely, on Instagram. Get him back. Should have to bring him back. No, I don't have exams. All right. Cheers, bud. Thank you. Yeah.